Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode 18, I'm Cam Connor with my son, Chris. So we have to apologize for missing our episode last weekend. We both were hit with the flu. I feel like the flu is hitting everyone across North America, but we got it. And it was one of those flus where you just can't think, you can't get out of bed. So it wouldn't have been a good show. So thanks for sticking in. And I know the the flu made you break a, a record that you had, Dad, at work. What was that record? So I went eight years without ever missing a day of work, and then I missed four days in a row from work, which I felt a little guilty about, but, you know, what do you do when you're sick, you're sick, right? And so because we missed a week of our podcast that we are going to extend the puck giveaway for the t-shirts, so we thank everyone. We have so many more orders than we expected, so thank you everyone who said they wanted a t-shirt and actually bought one. But because we weren't here last week to promote the contest for a second week, we will now extend it. Instead of us drawing the name on this episode, we will draw it next episode on February 11th, just so everyone has an opportunity to get uh, one of your classic hockey pucks. Do you know which one you're you're thinking of giving, Dad? Uh, I've got 40, 50, 60 of these pucks, never counted them, but no, I don't know which one. And I guess if this is the first episode you're tuning into, what is this contest that we're doing? So we were told people wanted shirts, and we designed some. I like the shirts a lot. We've gotten some great feedback. And so for everyone who purchases a shirt until next Monday, February 11th, you will be entered into a draw to win one of my dad's pucks. And you were saying that you always just collected pucks off the ice? Well, I did. And again, you know, there's people with puck collections and you buy them at the concession stands. Or you, with myself, that didn't cut it. So over the 10, 11 years that I was playing pro, and plus my junior hockey days, I would take them right off the ice. So playing in the world hockey, after a game, during the game, uh, between periods, I'd grab a puck. So these ones are authentic, that they used in a game. That's the difference between concession bot and... Because they're different. They're actually different. When you get a good quality puck, they're usually in really good shape the more you use it. And then when you get the store-bought kind, concession bot, when you go to use it, especially here in Canada, in cold weather, you'll see a bunch of chunks out of the rubber pucks because it's a cheaper type of uh, rubber. And I know back in my day, the best pucks were made in Czechoslovakia. And those things, you know, they're, they're usually all stay in mid-shape. If you're wondering where to get these shirts, uh, and it's not just shirts, but there's actually an iPhone case and a coffee mug, which I plan on buying myself. Just go to view from the penaltybox.com slash merch. So that's M-E-R-C-H. And we'll also have the link in the episode notes for this episode as well. By the time we release this podcast, the Super Bowl will be over. But as of today, which is Sunday, which uh, Super Bowl will airing in about an hour from when we're recording this. What are your predictions, Dad? You know, I'm going with the Eagles. I can't say that I follow the NFL daily, weekly, 
I tend to watch the games when the playoffs in all sports, basketball, even hockey, like that's really when I start paying attention. And so with New England, well, let's put it this way. When you get into the Super Bowl finals, you got two good teams. You just never know which way it's going to go. Somebody had a sure touchdown, they dropped it. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I've just predicted the Eagles are going to win. New England, awesome football team. You know, they won it last year. Can they do it two years in a row? Time will tell. I don't think so. So I guess we'll see if you're right. So we should mention what the bigger topic for today's episode is, and that will be different sports injuries. So we'll talk about the different injuries that you've had, Dad. I know you're proud that you still have your teeth. but um, And for those asking, which was actually nobody, uh, I did fix my front tooth, so no more whistling when I talk. But in terms of our topic, we'll talk about your sports injuries and some of the worst injuries that you have witnessed in your playing days. So that'll be the main topic. But we did receive a lot of questions, and we always, I think that's probably the best part, is to receive the emails and the tweets from everyone listening because it reminds us that there are people out there who are listening and that you actually enjoy what my dad's sharing. So if you want to send an email, it's viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. You can always send him a tweet at CamConnorNHL. So we will go through, we'll probably read three. And the first one is from Marty. And it doesn't say where he's from, but he, he asks... Have you ever considered writing a book? You know, it's interesting that you asked that, Marty. I usually go out with my buddies on Friday nights for years and years after work. And uh, we'll go to the bar and eat some food and drink some beer. And as people start talking, they'll throw something out there. And for whatever reason, it reminds me of a, a story. So I'll say, oh, that, just that. I'll say it reminds me of, uh, and I'll tell them a story. I've been doing this for years, and all the people that I've spent any time with, they've all said to me, would you write a book, please? Please write a book. A lot of this stuff is hilarious, and where are you going to hear this? And, you know, I'm not against writing a book. I mean, my buddy Roddy Piper, I helped him a little bit with his book, so I got an idea what it would take. But when I look into it, what I realize is, as if you're Wayne Gretzky, if you're a star in the league, not a problem getting somebody to say, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll write your book. Not a problem. When I looked into it, you know, I'm just an average mucker trying hard to stay in the leagues and doing my very best. And when we approached a few individuals, they turned me down, and then one guy said he would write it, but I got to pay him 25000 out of my pocket up front in order for him to do it. And so, you know, as much as my friends have said I've got enough ammunition that it'd be an interesting book, I started to believe them. So, like I said, I looked into it, and it, it just seems that, you know, if you're not a name guy, then nobody wants to take a chance on uh, spending the time and writing a book and you know, maybe not sell too many. But you never know who's out there. So uh, maybe there's some author or someone someone interested. You can reach yeah. out. I'll share a story that has to do with you potentially writing a book. And it actually is bigger than a book. Probably about five years ago, we approached uh, a big hockey fan who is, I would say, an A-list actor. He has a show on right now. 
and just out of the blue, I pitched him my idea, which is, which was basically old retired hockey players fishing and sharing stories. Just a really simple show because it seems like most retired players like to fish and they most like to share stories. So I thought it was a good combo, never thinking I'd hear back from him. And the next day, his agent gave me a call or wrote me back, said, give him a call. We talked. Next thing you know, I was in L.A. pitching the show to the agent and to Creative Artists Agency, which is a huge agency. And what they said was, okay, if you can find a production company in Canada to do this, then we will help either produce the show or we'll be involved. So my job was to to try and find a production company who would pick up the show in Canada. And Canada is a pretty small film industry and TV industry compared to the U.S., and there's not a lot of money. So I tried and I tried, and uh, it didn't work out. But it was it was an interesting adventure, especially to, to fly to L.A. and just based off, off an email. So there there is interest if we can... Uh, just find the right people. Yeah, well, that's what it's like in life, right? You got to knock on the right door and somebody's got to buy into what you're doing and away you go. And you even actually got, uh, we did have a little bit of interest from a production company in Toronto who pulled you out and uh, put you in front of the screen. But I think it was actually my fault why it didn't go through is because I, I was trying to have my dad on his best behavior because on this podcast, he is on his best behavior. But, um... <laughs> when we're not here to rein him in, he can be uh, quite the character. And so I think I reined him in a little too much, and they were probably like, what? This isn't the, the crazy retired fighter person who's friends with wrestlers and witness mafia hits and things like that. So that's the story. But well, You're right, Chris. Like When I look at my buddy Roddy Piper, and he had his Piper's pit, he was over the top. And I've always said Piper could talk a bird out of a tree. And you never saw Rod talking at a reasonable pace and with his voice down. He would take it to a few levels. I should have learned from Rod, but uh, I was probably a little too reserved. But you're right. I think uh, if I get that opportunity again, uh, another side of me will come out. Okay, so we'll go to the next question, and I know Zach has emailed before, but uh, he has another good question. So this is in response to you discussing who you thought the best current fighter was, or the most tough player. And so he says Wayne Simmons, was it would be his vote. Then he talks about uh, liking the shirt, but he wants to know your thoughts on composite sticks versus wood. And thanks for taking the time to answer and keep up the good work. Well, it's interesting. The view as if I was a parent that had to pay two, three, four hundred bucks for a composite stick. You know, unless my kid is going to score 50 goals because of the stick, most goals are scored from the slot in around the net. And it's the quick release that gets goals. It's the quick release. Get it away quick before the goalie get squared of the shooter. That's how you score goals. You get it away quick. And so, for me, even in, well, this might be a goofy statement because I, you know, I don't know. Maybe the teams get free sticks right now because uh, people watching the shows and they look at the type of stick they're using and they're going to go out and buy one. Or they get reduced costs. But 
Your stick bill is unbelievable. When I played the game of hockey, I went through 12 dozen sticks a year. These were the wooden sticks. And so people stick, the hockey team stick bills would be pretty scary. So maybe if I was an owner and uh, they could prove to me that they're scoring a lot more goals with these new sticks, then it might be worth paying that gazillion dollars extra versus wood versus compost. Now, they did have something interesting on TV just the other day. I was watching a channel where they had Shea Weber on. And a couple years ago or a year ago, he won the hardest slap shot in the NHL competition at 108 miles per hour. And this year, it was Ovechkin won it at 101 miles per hour. They have the new latest and greatest sticks. So what they actually did is they said that uh, back in the day when Bobby Hall he would have a big curve on his blade, and uh, somebody uh, had written that Bobby Hall slap shot was 118 miles an hour, uh, you know, but they never did mention how that was calculated. So I think if the boys today with the better sticks are shooting, you know, 108, I doubt very much if Bobby Hall's 118 was really accurate. But they gave Shea Weber a wooden hockey stick, a uh, the replica of a Bobby Hall stick back in the day. And I think Shea shoots right, Bobby shoots left. And so I don't know if Shea ever used the wooden stick before, but so they had him on the ice and they actually took an 18-year-old goalie and he had all the regular goalie gear that the guys wear today. And the announcer said to him, can you feel those pucks? He goes, no, I'm really well protected. So they actually put him in goalie equipment from back in my day. And he said that, you know, he was stopping wrist shots from Shea Weber. And he said when he went to catch it, it would hurt his hand every single time. And so now they wanted him in net to stop his slap shots with it wouldn't stick and he wouldn't go in the net. He said, you know, it's going to hurt too much. So they had uh, Shea shoot at the empty net with, uh, with somebody behind the net with a radar gun. So the best Shea could do with a wooden hockey stick, was 91 miles an hour. That was that was the best he could do. There is a little secret, though, when you do use a wooden stick, if you put a big hook in the blade, so you got an inch and a half, two-inch curve on that, that puck comes off that blade like a rocket. So I think if Shea would have had a bigger curve in there, it would probably give another five, six, seven, eight miles an hour. I really believe that. Yeah, the technology today is is better, but you're definitely paying the price. And I remember when I was a kid, what, you know, we're talking early 60s when there was only six teams in the NHL. The stick that every wooden stick that all the pros used, it was called a Northland Pro. And I remember begging my dad because some of the young kids on my team had these Northlands. Dad, can I get one? It was too much, too much. One day he brought a stick home. And he bought it from Eaton's department store. And I think he grabbed the stick that had the thickest blade because he didn't ever want me breaking it. I believe I still have it at home. There wasn't any feel to it. It was just like using a tree branch. It wasn't that good. But uh, I still remember the price tag of that marquee wooden stick. It was $4.98. And my dad just wasn't spending that kind of money. So... I don't think I'd have a hope in hell today of ever getting, you know, one of these two, three, four hundred dollar sticks. So, yeah, so I never did get to try them.
Okay, so we have a question from Joshua. It's a little long, but I will try and read it quick. Hey, I played Major Junior in the Western League, and I am curious about your thoughts on today's equipment. Players, so it's another equipment question. Players wearing half shields, the composite sticks, the meat hook curves players have, and all the protection goalies have. I think it is great to have the protection, but when I was playing, I personally did not like all the high-tech changes the game has made. I also think that the changes have called for the league to want to step in and police the players, as opposed to the players wanting to police themselves. Do you keep up with today's game enough to know how things would have been handled differently in the past? I personally am for the old game. Keep up the good work, and I love hearing the old stories. It reminds me of the good old days on the bus with the boys. You know, when you talk about you know the equipment today and how much protection it offers versus back in our day, you know, when these guys make it, if I'm not mistaken, the least you can be the shittiest guy in your NHL hockey team, and you make six hundred and fifty thousand. That's the minimum you're allowed. So, you know, you we all know what everybody's making. It's published in the paper. The pay, the bank, the payroll. I think is each team could go up to somewhere in the neighborhood of about seventy million. So these guys are an investment to any hockey team. And they do not want their superstars hurt in any capacity. So if there's some better equipment on the market that will prevent injury, they're definitely going to use it. So back in our day, you know, you didn't have a lot of option. I still have my old equipment. So when I would put it on in the dressing room, you know, a few years ago, and then you look at the other people in the dressing room, because I'm the oldest guy, they would laugh at my. They said, "Look at all that Gordy Howe equipment you got, and and there's, it's heavier. There's no comparison today." But back in my day, that's all we had, and uh, it worked for us. And then the guys today, they don't know what we used to wear, so they're only used to the brand new, lightweight, super protection equipment. So it's hard for the, to tell the guys, "Hey, you guys wearing this new stuff? You don't know what you're missing," because. You know, it's all about not getting hurt. So it's it's whenever you grew up in what era, you're used to that equipment. And uh, that's all I can say about that. And I know I said we'd have three questions, but we do have some really nice email from Matt. And I think he's from Minnesota. This one's a long one, too. So I will uh, I'll try and skip a few things that uh, were just compliments to us and we'll get to the, the main point, but he mentions that he genuinely enjoys listening to all your stories, experiences, hockey insight, and more, and he's doing his best to spread the word around about this podcast, which we appreciate if anyone wants to help us out and let your friends know, let people know who might be interested in listening about old classic hockey stories. Uh, We definitely appreciate it. He says, my only wish would be to have more podcasts. You hear that, Dad? <laughs> you ready for more? <laughs> won't happen. I simply cannot get enough of the great content. Cam, you have to get some of your old teammates, acquaintances, or possibly even enemies on the podcast to get the memories and stories flowing. So here's my question. And it's interesting. It's another equipment question. Cam, did you ever alter your equipment? I have a buddy who is an enforcer in the AHL and have heard stories from other NHLers that describe wearing tiny shoulder pads or not connected the fighting strap, like Rob Ray, to be able to get rid of all the equipment and so your opponents have nothing to grab onto. It's a random question, I know, but I'm fascinated by bruisers like yourself 
and the mental and physical preparation it takes on and off the ice. Thanks very much for creating this podcast and all you do. And it's Matt from Minnesota. So, Matt, as far as altering the equipment, I would say overall, and I'll go back to when I played, I only think that, you know, you could stand in front of the net back in my day and the defenseman would cross-check you across the spine with those wooden sticks and they'd knock you over and then as you're getting up, they'd cross-check you on the back of the neck and, and back in the lower back again. So the only equipment that was altered is some guys started putting their own pads attached to your the back of your shoulder pads that would cover your spine because when you get a the hockey stick cross-checked against your bare spine, obviously that would hurt. So they did the changes, you know, based upon necessity. Overall, you know, I mean, that's just what it was. Is, is, is You know, and if you look at fighters, there was just nobody that I know that really changed up too much at all. The only thing we did is we made sure that our tie-downs in the back of the jersey was on nice and tight. And depending on the quality of the jersey, Sometimes in the world hockey, I know that uh, your tie downs and the material it was tied to would rip, and and so you know you would get your sweater pulled over your head. I remember in junior hockey, I went to Medicine Hat, and I must have pissed off a few people because they came at me all night long, and and they ripped the jersey right off my back. So I had three different numbers that night because my jerseys just got torn right off me in fights. The only thing we would do is we would tape our hands back in the day in junior. Because I know at 17, I had fought probably way more than I should have. And I had to go to the doctors and my knuckles. You couldn't see my knuckles. And at 17, the doctor told me that by the time I'm 30, I'm going to have major arthritis in my hands. Well, you know, I kept street fighting and fighting, you know, on the ice. And sometimes you end up. Hitting a helmet, which, you know, you try not to do. And sometimes I know I've hit guys right in the skull. And that hurts the hand. Obviously, it hurts his head, but it hurts my hand, too. So you would tape it. And then the league said, you can't tape your hands anymore. And so, you know, after the third time I broke my hand, I uh, I, di- I didn't want to break it a fourth and a fifth time. And, and I really was a little more selective with who I fought. So if you were somebody that didn't even get a shift that game, and then the coach sent you out to get me, I would do my best not to, I wouldn't run away, but, you know, I'd say, how many shifts you got? You haven't got any. Okay, so I'm not going to break my hand on your head. So the league wouldn't let you tape your hands up. I heard of some guys, and I don't know if this is true back in my day, that you would tape your hand, and then they would wrap some wire around their knuckles and under the hands and over the knuckles, and then tape that up. So obviously... It's like having a foreign object under the tape. I'd heard about that, but I don't know if that was true at all. To alter your equipment, again, I've heard about it. And, you know, like the Rob Ray, maybe. To me, you know, hockey's a physical game. So if you're banging and, and you cut down on your shoulder pads and all of a sudden they're not sitting right, I mean, you're talking about shoulder separation um, and other injuries. So, you know, that's... If these guys have altered their jerseys, it's something that they feel will give them the edge. I just know that I never did. Because for me, I'd rather not just hang on, you punch me and I punch you. Uh, many nights, you know, guys jump you. And all of a sudden, you know, they've got the advantage of you and they and they got two, three, four punches coming at you. And as I said before, you don't even know you're in a fight. So 
Why do I want to turn around and get into that close quarters where we're pulling on the jerseys, take three or four shots in order to give two or three more shots back? What I would prefer to do is get out of the penalty box, tie them up before, get out of the penalty box. Now, you're not jumping me, let's square off now. And I would rather not grab you, then start swinging. I would rather, as you're coming in to grab me, I'm going to hit you two or three times. Never mind the grabbing. And if I've, if I've connected where I'm trying to connect, usually you go down or it's taking the fight out of you. As we've mentioned in previous podcasts, we're really excited to be sponsored by someone, and especially uh, SeatGeek, who we actually used before they approached us. And as Valentine's Day approaches, concert tickets, sporting tickets, any kind of live event is a really good present for a loved one. Flowers die, but uh, going to an event is pretty fun, especially when you can save $20. So for our listeners, if you enter the word penalty in the promo code in the SeatGeek app, then you will save $20 for your next live event. So we recommend that our listeners download the SeatGeek app. It's really easy to use. And what makes SeatGeek unique and why I have used them for different events is because it actually will look through all the different ticketing sites and give you the best price and the best tickets available. So download the SeatGeek app and punch in the code PENALTY into the promo code and save $20. So we love getting feedback, and one of the most common pieces of feedback that we receive... Do you know what it is, Dad? I I don't. Uh, Well, it's people wanting to hear from your your teammates and from people you've fought and just from people that you've encountered throughout your career. So we're excited to announce that we're... (laughs) We're looking into it, so it's not quite a full announcement, but we definitely, we we agree that it's a good idea. It's a matter of reaching out to people. It's a matter of me figuring out the best way to actually record these interviews so that the sound quality is good. But I I know talking to you, Dad, you don't think we would have a problem. We've actually had a couple people reach out to you. Yeah, well, I think think it's great to get some of uh, my old teammates and people that, that I know on here. It's just a matter of uh, timing issue, Chris, so I think I'll start looking into it in the next week or two, uh, track down some of my buddies, and uh, see if we can entertain you with a few of our stories. And if you have any suggestions, let us know. Of course, we'll eventually try Gretzky and those kind of players, but I think we have to work our way up to, <laughs> to someone like Wayne Gretzky, but um, it should be it should be exciting, so that's definitely to come and that doesn't mean every episode will be an interview but i think i agree that's a good way for the podcast to evolve so now we'll go into the main topic for today which is injuries and some injuries that you've witnessed dad what are your thoughts well you know i mean i've got obviously i can tell you about my injuries i can tell you about a couple of the worst injuries i've seen uh when i was in the world hockey you could wear two types of glove. One, you know, that goes maybe three or four or five inches over your wrist, and there's some that are a bit, little bit longer that cover more. And uh, this guy was wearing the shorter version of the of the hockey glove, and he he got knocked down, and a guy skated over his wrist, the inside of the wrist, and who was the player? His name was Barry Dean. 
And Barry, that's I'm glad I brought that name up. He's a hilarious guy. I got to get Barry on here. But he got his wrist skated over by one of his best friends, a guy he used to play with, a guy named Brian Maxwell, who was a tough boy. He skated over Barry's wrist, and even though Barry's glove was still on, I was on the ice, and I hear Barry in the corner yelling for the trainer. And I'm thinking, don't just skate over there. And then he pulled his glove off, and the blood vessels and some nerves were cut. And, and honest to God, it must have shot two to three feet in the air, the blood. And so Brian was smart enough that he quickly dropped his stick and gloves and went over and he cut off the blood flow. So he grabbed to the left and to the right of where the cut was. And then the trainers came and, you know, he had a lot of surgery. But that was a messy one. And he was out, uh, I, I can't even remember, but probably four to six weeks with that injury, maybe longer. And uh, it, it, it was pretty bad, but at the end of the day, uh, and we'll get Barry on to talk about that, but I think uh, he didn't pay any price for that. I think he has a little bit of numbness in some of his fingers. So that was probably the worst. And then, so with Barry Dean, that was that was the worst that I actually saw. And, you know, over the years, I mean, hockey, it's a contact sport. And so numerous, you know, broken noses. I've seen knocked out teeth. I've seen guys get the, well, another good one now that I'm thinking about it, is uh, we had a guy named Mignon was his last name, and it was in Phoenix. And our goalie skated into cor- into the corner to play the puck. And wouldn't you know it, he passes it in his own end to the other team. And the other team was against the board, their player, and they pass it to the slot. And one of our forwards, Mignon, J.C. Mignon was his name, he's sees the empty net, so he goes, well, I guess I got to jump in there. So he stood in the net like a goalie, and the guy on the other team who got the puck in the slot, he wound up for a wicked slap shot. It wasn't a quick wrist shot. He took a slap shot, and JC couldn't even move. It hit him, you know, right on the bridge of the nose, and, and you might think I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not kidding. This puck pushed in his nose about an inch or two, and the puck was stuck in his face. Like it was just it was just lodged in his nose. It was pushed in so much. And obviously he went right down and the trainer came on. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen somebody with a broken nose. So they've got a packet with gauze. And so he was out for the hell of a long time. And uh, I was in the dressing room when it was time to take the gauze out of his nose. Like you can't even believe how much gauze is jammed up a nose when you've broken it. So anyways, JC said, I will never the rest of my life ever jump in net again. Never, ever again. He paid a wicked price. Imagine, the puck was stuck in his face. That's a true story. So do you know what ever happened to the JC Mignon? John no, Mignon? there's a lot of guys you lose touch with. You play for a year or two and... You go in opposite directions, and your path usually doesn't cross again. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't actually say much on Wikipedia about him, but he did play. It doesn't look like he played in the NHL, but he played 258 games in the WHA. Yeah, great person, great, really nice guy. And he's 69 years old. So, uh, what about any injury injuries that you had? And did you have any when you were growing up, or did most of them happen when you hit pro or junior? Yeah, most happens as you start playing with the men. But when I look back, I played soccer 
football, baseball, I, uh, lacrosse, obviously hockey. I played all the contact sports. And, and I think 12 years old was the first time I got stitches. So when you were a kid today, you got a cage that you wear. Back in our day, you didn't wear a cage. And I remember I took uh, somebody body checked me, but he had his head down and he, and he, and he, his helmet connected under my eye. So he cut me for three stitches when I was 12 years old. So, uh, I remember that coming home and my mom was going, holy cow, my boy's got a shiner and stitches at 12 years old. And then I, uh, I know playing football at 15 and 16 years old. I was the fullback on our teams. Obviously, you're running with the ball. And uh, I got my fingers caught between two helmets that were one coming from one side and one from the other. And their helmets smashed my fingers. And what they did is they didn't really smash them, but they dislocated it. So, you know, my baby finger and the other finger beside it was the ring finger was stuck out at like a right angle. So... I remember coming off and the, the trainer said, oh, let me look at that. And then he, the way you put it back is you just pull on him. And oh my God. So he yanked on my fingers and he straightened them out. So it was, you know, and then you always, like for me, I got some wicked Charlie horses that I couldn't even bend my leg. And I remember at about 15 years old, they sent me to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers trainer. And he said, which is a football team. Which is a football team. And and so, this is a pro team. And his name was Gord Mackey. I still remember him. He was a legend in Winnipeg. And he looked at my thigh and he just said, Oh, you got a wicked knot in there. So, what they have to do, at least back then, is he, it's very, you can't even bend your knee. But he, you take your elbow and you force it into the knot, into your knee. My friends, does that ever hurt? Oh, I just want to punch the guy. But he was a big guy, and, I, I, you know, he's trying to help me. But he dug his elbow into this knot, and eventually, I, I, you know, it came around. But, boy, that's painful. But other than that, it was when, you know, I got to junior. And then again in junior, I, I remember I got another wicked Charlie horse. And the morning skate of the game, the coach tells us to skate to the other end and back. I was just getting to the first blue line because I couldn't push off on my leg. And the other guys were already back. And so when the practice was over, the coach said to me, so how are you feeling? And I said, oh, I won't be able to play tonight. I can't even skate. He said, no, I didn't ask you if you're, how, you know, if you're playing. You're playing. I just want to know how you're doing. Well, I didn't have a clue how I was going to be productive out there, but he made me play. And I remember just standing around their net, the other team's net. Couldn't skate very well, but, you know, they were a little bit afraid of me back then. So nobody really would tie me up or rough me up because they know what would have happened back in those days. And I got three goals that night. I said, oh, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm glad he made me play. So that was about it in junior was maybe that. You know, plus the normal swollen hands. And they used to take my hands pretty well for most of the games because it was rough and you were allowed to. And when I say tape my hands, that's like a boxer. Tape your hands like that. You've all seen boxers get their hands taped and then they put their gloves on. Well, that's what they would do with me. Now, when you get into pro, you're getting, you know, the best players in the world. and They're bigger, stronger, tougher. You can't intimidate them. 
as much as you can some of the junior players. And when I look back at some of the injuries, I remember the first serious injury. Somebody took a run at me, and I just kind of, you could hit from behind. So he took a run. I, I was up against the boards, and I see them coming through the peripheral vision. And I got the upper body away, but he hit my leg pretty hard, and he snapped the ankle. So I had a busted ankle. That was my very first injury. And then the next year, I remember I ended up, uh, well, let's just, instead of going year by year, basically what's happened to me over the years is, like I said, I broke my left ankle, uh, cracked my left kneecap, so fell into the boards, leaf over and knocked me over in practice. And I went in the fetal position and cracked my kneecap. I uh, broke my left hand three times, obviously from fighting. I've had three pins put in my hand. I got in fight with Montreal. We were in Washington, and I had my gloves off, and me and the other guy I was fighting, we were down on the ice. And so I had my hands on the ice, and there was this referee or linesman, actually, DeMarco, I think his last name was, a short, stocky little guy, who used to really bug me because you know, he prided himself. Somebody said, oh, he's the strongest linesman in the NHL. So whenever he would come in, you know, we're not allowed to hit to do anything with the linesman. You just got to let him throw you around and grab you. And he would come in and he came in and he skated over my friggin' hand. And he's and he went over like the baby finger through the cuticle, nail cuticle. And to this day, I still still have, like, you can see the stitches in my finger, and the fingernail has got a skate blade that's still in there. And then many times when I was fighting, that guy, that same linesman, thinking he's so tough, uh, because you're not allowed to do anything to him to show him he's not that tough, he come in, I'm in the middle of the fight, and the linesmen are supposed to go in at the same time. The first linesman grab one guy, and the other grab the other guy. Not this guy. He come in to pretend how tough he was, and he would grab you from behind, and he's holding you. Meanwhile, the other fighter is still free punching you, and you know, oh, I just felt like turn around and teaching that guy a lesson, but you can't. So I've had the finger skated over. I've uh, cracked my ribs. I've had bruised ribs. I've partially separated each shoulder at least six times. At least six times. I've cracked two vertebrae in my back. I've tore some gluteal muscles. I've uh, torn my tricep. Well, this was an accident hockey. I was fighting Roddy Piper in my garage for real. And uh, I went to throw a left at him, and he just moved his head. And uh, my tricep, it ripped like a rubber band snapped, and that's what happened to my tricep. So I had to get that stitched up and put back together. Um, I've had over 150 stitches. Most of them are in the face. Not all of them, but most of them. For those of you who get, you know, the cuts on the face, I've said it before. Um, while you still have stitches in, put the liquid vitamin E for months and months, probably seven, eight, nine, ten months. Put them on there. So, you know, and it really covers up the scars. So with my face, when I tell people I've had around 150 stitches in the face, they kind of call bullshit, right? And uh, they, they got to look closely, and then they can see some, and they go, oh, maybe it's possible. But again, that vitamin E really, really helps. And it's interesting, because still to this day, 
you will lay on the ground and I will stand on your chest and jump. Not jump, but bounce. <laughs> and it's basically to align your spine. So still to this day, I have to walk on your chest. Well, and that's true. I try to find uh, someone that's not going to crush me. You know, my spine gets out of whack. It's just like I had to do the same for Piper. I had to stand on his chest to straighten out his spine. You know, so I always played physical games, and I guess oh, it's a price I got to pay. You can tell when your back's out of alignment, and uh, it's cheaper than going to chiropractor. It, it it straightens it out for me, and you can tell instantly, ah, it's, it's perfect. So now, what's the part that hurts the most? Like, what aches? Is it your fingers and your knuckles? Well, again, you know, I'm 63 now, and I... Like the doctor told me, at 30, my going to have arthritis bad in my hands. I squeeze these sponge things just about daily, trying to keep my hands strong. Stress ball. And I'm thinking that could be the reason why I have no arthritis yet. I would say, so my back might be the one. And sometimes my hip flexor muscle, when I'm walking at work down the hallway, all of a sudden my leg gives out and it's the hip flexor muscle that... Uh, that gives out every now and then, which I could live with. We've got, you know, most of the players, you got bone chips in your elbows. And so sometimes you go to put your arm out and all of a sudden the little bone chips is floating around there wrong and it's jabbing you. And you got to pull your arm back in and rub your elbow and then it straightens it out and then you're fine again. I've had over 300 x-rays and that's not including CAT scans and bone scans. That scares me a little bit, right, with all that radiation. I don't know if I'm going to pay a price for that somewhere. And then I've already talked to you about not only me, but other players back in the day with the concussions. You, you know, time, I, I believe I'm already suffering a little bit, but, uh, it, you know, in my mind, hopefully it doesn't get any worse. But who really knows what the future holds, so... You know, people have asked me when they've asked me, what kind of injuries you've had? And I've told them. And they say, wow, would you ever do it again? I would play hockey in a heartbeat, knowing all the injuries that I've got. And, you know, thinking about it. So when I told you I got three pins put in my hand, and these are stainless steel pins, and they stick out, three of them stick straight out from the side of your hand, and they go out about half inch, and then they curl down about half inch, three of them. And um, I had these in for only two weeks, and they made me play. I had to play like that. So there was playoffs, and they said, oh, you got to play. We need you in the lineup. So they sliced the side of the glove open with these three prongs sticking out. And if you just barely tap my hand, holy cow, did that ever hurt. But they make you play like that. And I remember I'd show the guy on the other team you know, in the face off across from me, and I'd show my hand, and they go, what the hell is that? And I'd say, there's three pins sticking out of my hand. I said, if you freaking touch those, I'm going to hit you right over the head. And so I was, I managed to play the playoffs, you know, with these pins, but that's pretty dangerous, because if they got caught on somebody's jersey, it would have been chaos for my hand. And just like when I broke my ankle, you know, most times you're supposed to be in a cast four to six weeks, and, you know, they had me back on the ice within three weeks. And you can't even put any pressure on that ankle. It was ridiculous. But they make you do that when you play the game of hockey. 
and we love the game, um, and so you go out and you do it. So, yeah, I would uh, play this sport all over again. You know, it's, it's a true love by the guys that play it. And it makes me feel sore just listening to all your, your injuries. But I think we'll wrap it up there. So we'd love to hear from you. Email, Twitter, and thanks again for all your reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. And don't forget the t-shirt contest ends next week. We will announce who wins one of the pucks. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you very much.